Hello, 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 and welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. My name is Corey O'Flanagan, and I am your host. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you being here. If you're feeling it, stop real quick. Leave us a nice five-star review. Send a little message so we know you're listening. And just know that we continue to appreciate your support. As always, this podcast is a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Okay, so on the show today, you know, sometimes music just touches us in a way and we can't really explain why. Is it the lyrics? Is it the voice? The sounds of the band or just a single instrument? So many different aspects, but I think it's different every time it happens. Today's guest has done that for me. Tim Higgins has a voice that is as distinct as it is powerful. His lyrics touch on how he sees his surroundings and his delivery literally fills up a room and will make you listen. His debut solo album is called Blight, and today we go over some of those songs, his upbringing, and much, much more. So please sit back and enjoy Tim Higgins. But then I grew up bitter We are here with a Tim Higgins, who, uh, as I was just explaining to Tim, and we've just kind of um, started chatting really recently within the last couple of years. I slid into his DMs and invited him onto the show, and uh, <laughs> he was nice enough to say yes, and then nice enough to say yes again on short notice, and then nice enough to say yes a third time on sh- super short notice, um, because I had an issue. I bought a car today, and couldn't get it titled, couldn't get new tires put on it and have to do all that tomorrow. So thank you for doing this. You're very welcome. I was just walking around the cemetery with nothing better to do than why not podcast? As one does. (laughs) So uh, probably one of the best facts that I've seen, this is, uh, we've been in COVID for 18 months now, and this is your first Zoom. Pretty impressive. Oh, God. Don't tell people that. Let them believe I've been working very hard the entire time. <laughs> he is extremely, extremely technological savvy, and Zoom is his, that's how he communicates at, with everyone. At other times, you know, you may hear other people talking, they're trying to help me because I've somehow broken the internet. <laughs> that's okay. The connection seems strong right now. Um, you're in a what looks to be kind of an old antique house in Greensboro, Alabama. Um, is that... I, so based on your bio, you you got to experience kind of two different upbringings because I'm from Wisconsin, but I've spent a lot of time now living in the South. Um, and so you kind of got to see these two distinct American areas between Detroit and then Alabama. I guess my first question is when you think of these two places, are there more similarities or differences? Because I think people immediately jump to differences. Um, well, when I was 
13 or 14, my dad retired from GM in Detroit and he wanted to retire where he vacationed. So um, I'm the youngest of six and we left wow. behind my um, five siblings and my parents and I moved down to Gulf Shores, the beach in Alabama. So I sort of got like a restart because if I had gone to the same high school as my brothers had, there was a lot of, um, you know, family history, you know, I was yeah. being measured up against. I got to be an only child for a little bit. Um, and, you know, from the Rust Belt to, you know, coastal Alabama, it's a totally different world. Oh, um, yeah. But, uh, I don't know. Everywhere, you know, overall, if you listen to my music, you'd think I had one worldview, but people are pretty much good everywhere. They try to be most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting thing to me to think of those two. I mean, the number one difference I think people jump to is you know, up in the North where you were born and where I was born, we have really harsh winters, but I think the people tend to be not as different. I mean, I was born in very rural Wisconsin and the surroundings that I had there, when I come to the South and I think of, you know, like I live in the Redneck Riviera in Destin, Florida right now. And the people that I'm surrounded by here are very similar. They're just kind of the same kind of mindset a lot of times. And I, I think as people listen to your music that they'll they'll kind of see that you you kind of tap into that. I, I think you have a you do that in a good way. How did music kind of be, come into your life? Were your parents a big proponent of it and made you had you listen to a bunch of stuff? Uh, no, um, they it's the opposite. It's so funny. People always assume everyone's from musical families. My family was like jocks, <laughs> just football players, wrestlers. Um, uh, I sort of found it on my own. You know, my parents had a big record collection, but it okay. wasn't anything that was like, um, you know, it, it, nothing. It was, you know, 70s rock and roll, but they never listened to it. You know, they had six kids to raise. And so, you know, the things I took out of it, maybe the Carpenters, Sonny and Cher Live. <laughs> there wasn't very much um, from that level. I think it mostly was... Um, my, I think when I was probably 10 or 11, you remember those little um, music clubs you could join? My aunt had joined one. And it was like, you buy so many CDs for uh, full price and you can get, you know, whatever you want for a penny. Yeah, yeah. And I was able to <laughs> shop for records just, you know, with coins and based on covers. And that was the first time I heard Bob Dylan and Katie Lang and Van Morrison, um, you know, the importance of cover art. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, that's it, incredible that you made those decisions based on cover art. Did you feel like, so do you think that you got lucky that you kind of tapped into some songwriters at that point? Because you could have easily just all of a sudden had a bunch of death metal show up. <laughs> uh, well, I was a religious, you know, VH1 MTV top 10 countdown watching thing as a kid. And okay. growing up in the 90s, you know, there was, it was covered in jewel and um the wallflowers and tom petty it was sort of like songwriters were prevalent i don't know do we hear songwriters on the radio too much anymore i don't know only college radio that's true college radio (laughs) otherwise podcasts I, you know, I think what, podcasts is where it's at. Podcasts and breweries. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, breweries too, for sure. You know, when you start listing those names, that kind of um, 
takes me into my childhood with with MTV and VH1 too, because I can distinctly just close my eyes and think of the wallflowers, you know, one headlight coming out and mm-hmm. who will save my soul and all these songs that just were a big part of it. And yeah, the the fabric of what MTV and VH1 was just sounds like our childhoods is that doesn't really exist anymore for people. So it's really now it's just the power of the algorithm, which is honestly yeah. how I found you. well i guess it worked in our favor um today (laughs) it it got us here okay so uh, let's jump into some of your music a little bit because your debut album and then the debut single that came off of that are called blight these roots take hold will these seeds grow Will these rains suffice? Take a blossom from a blight. Kids born blind and weak and perpetrators hide and seek. And neighbors point their fingers wide as sicker. Just get sicker. And this is a word that I had to go look up today because I've never used it or seen it. And this is one thing that I love. People call me Curious Corey. I love this kind of stuff when I get introduced to things. So can you take me into your experience with what that word and then what the song also means to you? So I guess I had always thought of the word blight as a um, maybe a horticultural term, you know, you know, we're from the Midwest and um, we see farms everywhere. Now I live in the deep South farms everywhere. So it's sort of like, you know, plants get blighted. Well, um, I start after I graduated college, I started working in Tuscaloosa for the preservation society. So they had several historic houses and structures that we gave tours of and um, sort of lobbied for overall preservation. And in that research, while I was doing that, you know, we come across this term of blight, used in the 1940s, 50s, 60s as a way for um, urban renewal. You know, people aren't mowing their lawns. Uh, Maybe the house needs to be painted. The city could consider it blight and condemn it to tear it down. And most often that happened in lower income uh, communities, uh, people of color um, owned homes. And so this, it was sort of lobbed. The term blight, you know, it's invasive. Blight's invasive, but it's sort of lobbed at plants and communities that are maybe not what the status quo likes. And so that's sort of what uh, is the running theme throughout the album is, you know, this growing idea of blight. Yeah. That, I mean, it it definitely is because when you, when you hear the way that you, um, I mean, you're just, your vocal is, I assume that you listen to Tom Waits. Do I have, is there some in there? I mean, it has to, right? Yeah. (laughs) You want to know how I heard Tom Waits for the first time? Um, I found a CD that had been, you know, chucked out of somebody's window when I was probably 13 or 14. And I, I didn't know what it was. And the first time I put it on, it was, I couldn't get it. I was like, what is this? This is insane, you know, rain dogs. And then um, I think I heard enough people covering them over the years, uh, Tori Amos and uh, Natalie Merchant and the Innocence Mission that I was like, okay, now, you know, I had a, that was the primer, the entry point. And um Finding somebody um, who sings in a range I can hit was, you know, really uh, formative. Was that always the way that your vocal came out? Or did you kind of 
train yourself to sing in a different way that you felt <laughs> matched your that's mood. That's so funny. That's so funny you asked that. I was just telling somebody the other day that in, um, I think it was like sixth grade in like our music class, they were arranging us by who sang the highest, and who sang the lowest. <laughs> and my very best friend was the highest and I was the lowest. So we were on opposite sides of the room and we could just look at each other. And I don't think anyone expected that I was going to be the lowest, but <laughs> we could wave at each other. So, and it took me a long time to, um, embrace that lower gravelly quality you know uh it's not you know it's, you have to find what works you know but that's any singer or songwriter you find your own style within what you can do i think i mean eventually... i wish i could do beautiful beautiful harmonies but <laughs> it's harder to hit for me well, I'm going to come back and we're going to circle back on some harmony stuff because you do have some really beautiful harmonies within the album. Um, and, and I have a question about that. But yeah, it gets me really kind of thinking about um, the your move to the South. And then you, it seems like you kind of met some other songwriters. So this was kind of happening. You didn't have the push from your parents, come from this family of um athletes and and that kind of focus so you become this like kind of more right-brained artsy person within the family and did you feel like you had a hard time finding other people because everything that like you were kind of a product of our surroundings right so if your family and your upbringing is surrounded by sports did you have to push yourself as a kid into uncomfortable positions to find other people that were thinking and seeing the world like you were more musically and artistically that's a good question. I, um, I've always have really been sort of an outgoing person. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I've always sort of, you know, I've been able to get along with everybody, but I think mostly my struggle was, you know, when I was in high school and everybody was starting their first bands, they were either hardcore bands like Screamo or they were like Jack Johnson cover bands. And that was like nothing I was into. Got I was telling everyone like, have you listened to Joni Mitchell? And I was, you know, um, <laughs> you know <laughs> um, my muse, my forever queen, Joni Mitchell's mm -hmm. finally cool again. <laughs> for hey, you and David Crosby. He's <laughs> David Crosby is going to die on the hill that she's the best songwriter that ever lived. And I love that. Well, you know, it's a good hill to be on. Yeah, <laughs> I will join sure. <laughs> on that hill and maybe that hill only. Uh, <laughs> um, I think what was um, the biggest thing for me is my parents got me a guitar and it was a really awful, like little Spanish guitar with, um, you know, those like nylon synthetic strings. And um, they got me guitar lessons when I was in middle school and I hated it, but it really, I, I wanted to write songs and I made myself figure out how to do it. Oh, and you pushed so through, good. I pushed through and I think that's sort of um, the way I write songs and I play the guitar it's sort of I had to invent it myself because and it's been a learning curve you know now playing with bands trying to play my stuff because I don't know what I'm talking about you know like what key and is that in oh I have no idea yeah it's uh, <laughs> I start on with my finger here <laughs> so, playing with you know playing with you know, what the band is is mostly like Berkeley music school jazz guys yeah. and so they could follow along um, and they weren't afraid to get, you know, swampy and a little dirty inside of it too. Nice. Um, 
but yeah and then in college i started a band um with two friends called bible study and it wasn't a christian band we just like to see the name bible study up on the marquees of all the dive bars that we played you're typically gonna draw (laughs) you're gonna draw an audience that way in some way shape or form so there's some marketing tactic there it was and then um and, you know, continuing with my terrible planned releases for timetables, our album release show was our last show. And um, <laughs> then I released this one, you know, two weeks before the world shut down from a global pandemic. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> so. I, I, I want to kind of go back and do another song here now. And I'm this one was one that you brought to my attention. And so I listened to it a few times this afternoon. And it, the, the question that came to my head was, what was going on in your world? Like, what was going on in your surroundings as you were writing the song Ruins? Well, I made you walk to the ruins at night I didn't know what was on your mind Then you kissed me there among those gray lost walls Then we walk back to my house Ruins of ourselves Well, Ruins is about my neighborhood in um, Tuscaloosa where I lived. And it was this little, like two blocks of Victorian houses sort of untouched um, that uh, was owned by a single family over the years they had bought up this, you know, right in the middle of downtown, you know, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this sort of like crumbling um, Victorian house and uh, downtown atmosphere. And um, I became pretty good friends with the family. So they started letting me rent it out to friends. And so the whole neighborhood was just filled with people that I liked. (laughs) And so it was this really interesting community and it was, you know, people, 85 to little kids living in it with a big shared backyard. It was really sort of a magical place where we were for, you know, about eight years. Yeah. And at the end of our block was the ruins of the old state Capitol building of Alabama when Tuscaloosa was the Capitol in the 1840s um, uh, and it burned in the 1920s. And sort of what's left is just this sort of, you know, it looks like ancient uh, Roman ruins toppled columns, you know, it was a big, uh, you know, antebellum column building, you know, democracy for all, but maybe for the few. Um, but I guess I had this idea when I was writing this song in the fight to sort of preserve our neighborhood when the all-seeing eye of, you know, city planning comes and looks at us and um, considered it all to be blighted. And of course, now it's all torn down. There's an extended stay motel there. Um but I guess I thought I'd always leave ruins behind, you know, most people can go back where they lived in college or um, just out of college first job and say, Oh, I lived here. And Oh, I met so-and-so there. And this was my um, old stomping grounds and my old stomping grounds are gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, even my parents' house, you know, when they went through Ivan and Katrina down in uh, Gulf Shores, mm-hmm. you know, their houses are all still there, you know, massive things. They, well, there's an old saying that there are two enemies to historic buildings, um, water and stupid men and stupid men got ours before the water. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I was thinking about writing ruins and, you know, you know, Is just it- seeing the writing on the wall was that there were ruins at the end of the street all along. <laughs> yeah. So is it indistinguishable? Like if you go back there, is it like nothing like what you remember? 
nothing's there. There's maybe two buildings that were across the street, but they've got new, they were just like, you know, uh, just brick 1970s, 80s buildings. I got new fancy facades put on them. Hmm. You know, if Alabama would start losing football games, um, preservationists might have a chance, but for the time being, <laughs> they uh, just need more places to stay for the fans. Stay tuned for more Song Facts podcast right after this. Ever wonder how my voice is bouncing off your eardrums so clean and crispy? No? Well, let me tell you anyway. The Lyra Microphone by AKG brings their legendary acoustic engineering to a versatile USB mic that delivers the highest quality audio in its class. USB connection. This is good for me because of the simplicity and the ability to just plug and play without an interface. You may have gathered from various episodes that I am doing this show on the road, so being that I record most interviews in a different location than the last, it is good for me to know that I have a high-quality, easy-to-transport-and-use USB mic like the Lyra to make sure my sound is clean. Whether you're like me and recording a podcast, a musician recording vocals or an instrument, or if you need to do a voiceover for a YouTube channel, Lyra's innovative AKG Adaptive Capsule Array adapts to your performance to record pristine audio. It has four versatile capture modes. What's a capture mode, you ask? That is how the mic picks up your voice. Just trust me, with these four options, it's really all you're going to need. With AKG Lyra, you'll be up and running in no time, no matter your experience level. There's no assembly, no need for separate audio interface, no fiddling with software settings. It just works right out of the box. And Lyra is something that is compatible with Windows, Mac, iOS, and Android devices, and all major recording softwares. So. If you're looking for a mic that offers ease of use along with a high-quality sound, check out the AKG Lyra and look no further. Have you been back to where you grew up in Detroit at all to see a check-in on that old neighborhood? I have. um, Similar? Two two and a half years ago. Very different. Oh, okay. Um, When we left, it felt like things we're on a decline, but you know, Detroit's cool now. So <laughs> everybody's moved back. Things have been, you know, sort of revamped and the house was still there. And they're sort of in the middle of the little neighborhood I lived in. There was this, um, I don't know if it ever was supposed to be just like a wooded, you know, area. I think maybe it was a golf course that never got developed. And um, all of that is gone now. That's all been built up. But my sister actually bought a house a few blocks away. So it's sort of funny to go back. It was funny when we got up there with uh, my partner, Aaron Sanders head, who's a textile artist. And we like opened the door. I said, this is where I lived and I could feel the air. And I feel like there was something innate about, you can sort of feel where you're from, you know, do you ever go back to Wisconsin and you're like, Oh, this is where I'm from. I just did a week ago. (laughs) Yeah. The way the trees sound and the air feels, it was really sort of eerie because I hadn't been back in uh, 20 years. I literally um, pointed this out to my wife and I, we were just walking and I was just like, this is just for some reason, walking through this grass and this person's yard or whatever we were doing. Just this reminds me of my childhood, just the way that the grass was shaped and the thickness of it and stuff. I just remember mowing the lawn as a kid during the summer and <laughs> those little like details, I think 
are the toughest to remember, but when you can remember them, I think those are the things that kind of bring that nostalgic feeling. It's, I guess it's probably good that your sister bought something there because you're going to have a reason to go back and kind of check in on it every now and again. Yeah. And I don't know. It's a, I mean, I, I'm sure everybody knows Detroit's a happening place now. It's a yeah. booming city again. And it's so cool to see, you know, when we lived there, the lights went out at night and downtown was empty and, um, I don't know. And now every time we go back, like, why don't we move to Detroit? But we've already been outpriced. <laughs> so been outpriced. We'll stay, we've been outpriced. We'll stay in the rural South as long as we can. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? Maybe, maybe winter isn't all it's cracked up to be. Although I am about to make the move to Colorado where I will be dealing with winter, but I'm happy to deal with it if I have mountains to play in. That's true. Yeah. You, yeah. You, it's the trade-off. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's circle back to some of these harmonies because this, I think is, there's something just really beautiful about the way that I think your voice interacts with the harmonies on the album. And there's just this amazing contrast with this much lighter female harmony. Um, and I wonder, did you feel that these songs needed and I don't want you to take offense to this question. I want to make sure that I phrase this correctly, but I, I want to just know, did you feel that these songs needed that softer part to them so that they wouldn't be too dark between both the lyrical content and then your own, your own voice? Yes. And I think of it like beauty and the beast. Hundred <laughs> percent. I need to have sort of a lighter sound around me that sort of can, elevate things and i mean it's been this way since i first started writing songs i always have thought about having that you know and it's a sort of a masculine feminine feminine quality too you know most of the people playing on the album are you know dudes and so and straight dudes so i wanted you know i needed to lighten it up just a little bit <laughs> and um <laughs> I needed to, you know, get out of the bromance of it all. Um, and doing the background vocals on this album is an amazing singer-songwriter in Nashville named Kashana Armstrong, mm -hmm. um, who everybody should listen to. And she came into the studio, um, and I use the term studio loosely, I think we were doing this in my producer's basement, you know, with insulation all around us in East Nashville. <laughs> and she hey. said, I'm on the way to the... I'm on the way to the airport. She's like, you have three hours or something. And so she came in and we just, and she just hammered it out. I mean, she's just a professional and she's amazing. And then as luck would have it, we put out our albums on the exact same day. So oh, we're amazing. sort of, um, we're a release day twins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're doing this like nice little slow trickle. I think that what you recently just released the uh, third single off of it. Is that right? Yeah. And so we sort of did, um, I filmed three music videos. So the first one actually came out, I think in 2018, the album came out in 2020. And I think, um, yeah, so in 19 and 20, I put out singles and um, I blew it and take me away. And we filmed music videos down here in Greensboro, uh, where I live in Alabama. And so great film crew that, I mean, this town is so picturesque. You can have a mansion next to um you know a shotgun and ruins and then maybe you have a mansion in ruins next to a shotgun where people are still living and yeah. it's all kept up and beautiful so it's a really interesting place of juxtapositions that films well and i think it captures the songs pretty good too yeah and i mean i think that one of my uh, one of my best visions of being through alabama was a very early morning like golden hour drive 
with just like that really soft lighting, the really just kind of thick, humid air. And I don't know, it just kind of as someone who's kind of dove into film and, um, and photography in the last couple of years, that's something that has kind of stuck with me about, about just like my remembrance of Alabama. And I'm happy because I've spent a lot of time driving through Alabama, but I haven't spent a lot of time mm-hmm. in Alabama itself. It's a pretty haunted state, you know, it's, yeah. um, it's got a tricky it, it history. Changes, yeah. Well, you know, it's a tricky country, but <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, that's funny. I was playing in upstate New York and I was, talking to a friend, I said, I don't know, it feels, you know, everything's sort of a site of a Native American massacre and then, you know, some other thing. And I said, God, it's a really blood-soaked, you know, state. And she said, well, it's a really blood-soaked country. I said, yes, it is, <laughs> actually, when you zoom out. Um, it's, but you see just in the, from season to season, things, you know, landscapes disappear, whether it be from kudzu or from, um well now i mean where i live it's like catfish farms so it's just it just looks like you're on the great lake but it's just ponds filled with catfish <laughs> and you know and then you know you have mountains when you hit birmingham it's just it's changing wildly all the time yeah you know driving along half the state who is it that you're mostly listening to right now who's kind of your your current playlist of people well i've been reading uh ricky lee jones memoir so that's been on heavy repeat. Um, I guess, uh, uh, oh God, you're going to ask for like current people. Aaron yeah, Lee Tajin, I've been yeah. listening to. <laughs> you can, you can name whoever you want. Cause mine is constantly um, going between, uh, I mean, I'm on this crazy Jason Isbell kick right now. I just cannot get enough of that guy lyrically um, yeah. and, and vocally, but um you know, I, I circle back and forth between st- old stuff and, and, and the, one of the things that was a driving force for me to do this podcast was continuing to discover new music because I think it's so easy to get caught in the inner webbings of your whatever algorithm, whatever it's pointing you to. And I really didn't want to do that. So I wanted to be actively out there trying to find stuff. So I'm always curious what people are, what they're listening to, and especially someone who's a songwriter, because whether or not we know it, we're always influenced by what's going in our ears and what our senses are picking up. So that's why I always try to ask that. that. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, You know, it's funny with me, I get like locked in on something. Um, I was at a friend's house and we're listening to um, the Tina Turner um, or Tina Turns Country album, you know, (laughs) from the (laughs) 70s. Um, We were talking about how it's funny how we used to, people used to listen to records, you know, because it's such a physical act of putting the record on the turntable and then you listen till it ends. There's no getting it off and changing it. You know, sometimes it stops and then we have silence for a little bit and someone goes, Oh, turn the music back on. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't think I've ever really gotten out of that, even with streaming, I'm still an album focused person. And so I've been listening to a lot of the, that latest Bob Dylan record. Um, oh, interesting. And um, there's something about, you know, and I've been deeply back, into um leonard cohen and his especially his live stuff when i'm trying to remember how to how you're supposed to perform live (laughs) it's been so long so man i can't even imagine listening to leonard you know singing in london it just reminds you of like oh this is how it's done if i can have you know one little speck of dust of this stardust that i'll be happy are you have you been able to perform any of these songs with with a live band 
I did. So I was, um, I got about a week and a half of album release touring and before the world shut down. I bet that just took it out of you. <laughs> 10 days. Well, it was, <laughs> I mean, it's a terrible way to sell records, but <laughs> <laughs> unreal. Um, but uh, it was sort of, it, it is such a different experience. And I can, I'm sure that you'll talk to a lot of songwriters who are, are used to just being alone in their room for the most part with their guitar. And then all of a sudden when you have to like flex this or learn, build this new muscle of listening to other people and communicating what you hear in your head that you assume everybody else does is very different from recording. I think I probably enjoy the process of recording more than performing. What do you Um, think it is about that? Do you think you're really detail oriented and that's why? I think so. And I, I like the, there's, you know, there's something nice about catching, um, you know, lightning in a jar and then um, having that forever preserved, you yeah. know, like on a record and just sort of like listening. And um, it's just, it's so different and it's so much fun and just gathering people that can't all be on the same stage together. So actually I've started a new record already. We turned half of my house into a recording studio in May for uh, a couple of weeks. And um, some friends came down from Nashville and some local people played on it. And today we were actually cutting keys with Ben Alleman out in LA um, who played on the new Maddie Diaz album, which is also really great. Okay. Um, and so all day I've just been checking my email. It's all I do is check email is check my email and, um, listen to things. Oh, that sounded good. Try this. Try. Oh, I like that. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So, so just run, do a little key run, record it, send it off. Yep. That gets the green light more of that. Do some more. And that's kind of how that exactly. recording process goes. That's such a fascinating thing. It didn't, um, what was that band that did that? Every, they never got together personally. Oh, um, Postal uh, service? Is that what it postal is? Postal service. Yeah. I think so. It was that one or the other project. Yeah. And they kind of did it during were... the MySpace days when it wasn't as easy. Yeah. Well, we were all all in the room for like the basic tracking. So we're given the uh, Ben who's playing keys, you know, a good feeling to run with. When it's your songs, think, you know? do you have us? Do you hear the other instruments as well? Or do you just let the people kind of do what they want? And then you're like, that's it. Yeah, and I think I uh, hear based on recording versus you know playing live. I think it's totally different because yep. you know um, I think when I perform live, I slow things down a lot. Okay. And with a band, you sort of want to get them to rock out a little bit. It's more fun to play with. Whereas when I'm alone on stage by myself, I can look people in the eye and you know sort of <laughs> start building a mood that's a little bit different. Either that or make it real awkward just by focusing on the one person. (laughs) (laughs) My goal typically is to get whoever's talking or not paying attention to really key in. (laughs) I I can win that person over. Yeah. As a, um, from a standpoint of someone performing, that's always, I think that's a good place to be. Um, All right. Well, it's Tim Higgins. He's got this album Blythe out and it sounds like we've got some more coming. Um, Yeah. I am, I've got one more question and it is, why can't every day be a party? And what is the message (laughs) you're trying to get across in this song? Because 
I'm I'm a big fan of these lyrics. I, I listen to this one really closely, but I wanted to hear your kind of idea behind this because I have my idea, but I'm curious about yours too. idea came from uh before i moved or when i was in the process of moving to nashville several years ago i had dinner with um the late great jesse zazu of those darlings who passed away a couple years ago and um she said uh i said how did you guys get so much attention so quickly like you guys are everywhere and she said oh we said yes to everything and i took that to heart um uh oh. To maybe things I shouldn't have also. <laughs> and uh and and I had to have that realization after, you know, a stint uh that uh, was like every day is not a party, which I thought was a hilarious sentiment. And the song sort of poured out in one thing. And in my head, I wanted to write this sort of um punk rock doo-wop thing that Jesse could sing with me and <laughs> all of those darlings. Um, unfortunately, she passed away before she could, but we got the amazing LG from Thelma and the Sleaze. If you don't know the best rock and roll band in Nashville, um, you should check it out. And so For sure. LG is doing that wild. She's sort of a loose cannon on there. And the first time I sang that song in New Orleans, I said, and here's my next song. Every day is not a party and everybody booed. And then I finished it and I got a lot of knowing nods from everybody in the city that never sleeps <laughs> oh my god <laughs> very bold so, thing to it's say it's my especially... bumper sticker yeah it's my <laughs> bumper sticker put it on your fridge i used to sell these uh, cards you know you could you know i said put it on your fridge to remind yourself on tuesday morning you should probably join a gym which i keep meaning to do <laughs> <laughs> you know you can always wait and do it when everyone else does it right after new year's I know. You know how many times I've paid for these things and <laughs> never shown up. That's that's their goal. That's their whole business model. <laughs> the other plan for living in the deep south is there's, you know, about nine months of the year you're just sweating and you're just sitting there. And I feel like that's, you know, exerting enough, you know, exercise. <laughs> you know, I've been down that's I've been down here this summer and it has been exactly that. And man, it is. The South is something else. Um, Tim, I really appreciate you taking some time with me. I'm a big fan. I'm hoping that we can put this in a few pe- few more people's ears and keep writing, keep doing what you're doing. And um, thank you. And hopefully if you get this next album out, we'll have you back. I'll send you a copy first. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much to Tim for coming on the show especially on such short notice it was truly incredible to watch this come together and i am very grateful that he was able to do it go check out the entire album i am so in love with this guy's voice and as always guys for the stories behind the songs go to songfacts.com and have yourself a lovely lovely day
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 